Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to explore the role of DEI metrics in developing an ESG strategy. Environmental, social, and governance metrics are becoming an increasingly important role in corporate strategy. But one critical element that's oftentimes overlooked is the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our guest today, Miriam Lewis, is the Chief Inclusion Officer at Principal Financial Group. Her extensive experience includes 16 years at the Clorox Company, where she worked on DE&I initiatives as well as supply chain management positions before moving on to another large financial institution, First Family Financial Services. Now today, we'll be exploring how companies can develop a sustainable ESG strategy by implementing specific DEI metrics into their decision-making process to improve their chances for success. Now, before we get started, make sure to click the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Yopis. Let's get started. The 2022 season of Personalization Outbreak Podcast is brought to you by City of Hope, a world leader in the research and treatment of cancer, diabetes, and other life-threatening diseases. City of Hope has been ranked among the nation's best hospitals in cancer by U.S. News and World Report for over a decade. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Miriam, welcome to the show. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Glenn. It's great to be here with you today. I know we're going to have a lot of fun today. You know, we always do. And that's <laughs> part of what Personalization Outbreak Podcast is all about, is how do we unleash our individuality? How do we begin to unleash our thoughts and unleash our wisdom about where things are at, where things are going, and the trajectory of where we're all headed into the future? And, you know, one thing, Miriam, and I know we've discussed this in the past, is, you know, ESG, environmental, social, and governance, uh, is playing a big role in the boardroom, and you're going to help us understand what all that means. But it certainly has the opportunity to accelerate the trajectory of DE&I as a transformative enterprise growth and profitability function. Do you think that's the case, or what's your stand on? You know, Glenn, I think I'll take that statement you just said and use that for my new job description. I think that that is the role of every CDO, Chief Diversity and Equity Officer. And the reason I say that is because, you know, companies are here to grow the bottom line and to grow the bottom line in a meaningful way where they're able to also make an impact um, in the community. And that's why we're here. We're a for-profit organization, and we're also for people and for the environment organization. So in order to do that, DNI is definitely the fuel that will allow us to accelerate the pace and to make meaningful changes. 
Well, I mean, just for our audience, uh, environmental is really about taking action on climate issues uh, to minimize impacts. It's, you know, social is about enhancing public trust by addressing, managing, and communicating societal commitment, which, as you know, is a big part of the business now. And of course, governance is around governance and, and oversight uh, to make sure that these uh, environmental and social uh, commitments and priorities uh, take shape. So on that note, Miriam, why does DE&I and ESG matter? And how is their success really interconnected and their significance interdependent? Yeah, Glenn, you know, at its core, you know, I'm a pretty much a very much so a Southern girl. So I'll keep the cookies on the low shelf and tell you that at the very core, DE&I and ESG matters because people and the environment matters. Um, as you said, DE&I is reflected and embedded in the S and ESG. It's about our social responsibility. So when we're talking about ESG, we're talking about DE&I. It's the heartbeat of ESG. And it's the game changer. I honestly believe that. Um, for many years, companies have measured their success based on the bottom line. And we've all checked the box and said, hey, we work for a successful company. But the game is changing. And the new, and the new way that success is measured, it's the bottom line plus ESG. That's the new formula. So said another way, companies exist today to deliver strong results for stakeholders while making a meaningful impact in the world. And many companies are choosing to make that impact in what's core to them and what's true to them in a very authentic way. So for example, I work in the financial services industry with Principal Financial Group, as you said earlier. So we make an impact um, in the world by really focusing and upskilling people on financial literacy. So that's important to us. And other uh, industries are taking it to another level, but all of us collectively will make a change in every area that matters to people. And I'm just so excited about the heightened focus on DE&I. Well, as you said, I mean, these two areas of DE&I and ESG are so interconnected. Um, how is this, in your mind, um, changed how boards are viewing DE&I? Because as you know, I mean, ESG, this metric is something that is really starting at the board level. Yes, you're getting to that governance aspect of it. So DE&I, it's risk and it's managing risk and it's managing opportunity. So those are the two goals of boards. So it fits squarely within the agenda of boards, and quite frankly, it's taken up quite a significant amount of time in board meetings, uh, not only with the entire board, but also with the governance committee, with the HR committees of boards. We're talking through what it is that, what's our strategy, first of all? How are we going to drive, what are the objectives? How are we going to drive meaningful change? And then there's that accountability. Okay, what, how much progress have you made in this space? So this is top of mind for board members, CEOs, and senior leaderships across corporate America. So Miriam, what are your two to three concerns about the future of, of DNI, and and what are the time sensitive interruptions that we should act upon them? 
you know, Glenn, there are challenges with almost everything. And I think that one challenge, and it could even be the beauty of DE&I as well, is that it's unlike other business objectives. We're accustomed to rationalizing business results in our head. You know, I, I was a supply chain leader for many, many years, and I rarely invoked my heart into the work that I was doing. But DE&I requires more. We have to employ both the head and the hearts of people in order to advance this work. So that's a challenge for us. And it's a challenge for leaders in organizations because they're not accustomed to having their heart invoked at work. Um, so the reality is that invoking the head and the heart, it takes more time and more effort. But I tell you that once folks get it, they get in the DE&I and ESG boat and they start helping to roll that boat. So it's about education as well. And then another challenge that I would um, recommend, would think of is that, or offer, I should say, is the breadth of the work itself. Mm. When you talk about inclusion, inclusion means everything. This makes prioritization extremely important. We have to stay on strategy and we have to be ready and equipped to really deal with the unplanned external social headwinds that come our way. Um, and then maybe a last challenge that I'll offer is um, ESG, including DE&I. Uh, there's a myth there. And the myth is that it's only about compliance. Hmm. And no one gets really excited. I shouldn't say no one because compliance people really do, right? You're right. Most people don't get excited about compliance. But that's just not true. That's far from the truth, I should say. ESG is a mindset. And it's also an opportunity for growth. And this is the real business case for uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is it's an opportunity to accelerate business growth. So let's talk a little bit about mindset. In your experience, uh, Miriam, what, what is the mindset that leaders and, and employees uh, need to, to begin to adopt, to begin to accept the value and the power of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, I, I think that mindset is that, you know, that it's a growth strategy. It's an enabler for growth. But I think that, you know, the mindset varies and it varies as you trickle throughout the organization, right? So mm -hmm. basically at the top of the house, you have that growth mindset. Maybe in the middle of the house, you may have start getting closer to in some in a broad generalizations here as well. So you may get into some of the more fixed mindsets, if you will, and more around following process versus, hey, what's possible? So that's the mindset that's needed. Like what markets can we go into that we're not in today and really bringing those ideas to the table and helping to grow the business. So it's really about the mindset and it's really about the growth opportunities that are available. So um, when you entered your role, I mean, your title is chief. Uh, inclusion officer. Yes. Uh, and this is becoming a pattern now is, I mean, how do we start getting people to realize that the richness of diversity, diversity of thought, and all the difference that human beings bring to the table uh, can really be part or should be part of that growth enablement, but it's impossible to do that without inclusion. How do you help communicate this across the enterprise? Yeah, Glenn, you're hitting on something that's really important. And I think that it's also been one of the barriers to success in this area 
is that um, many companies have started this work with just focusing on diversity. And they read the charges, diversity or inclusion versus diversity and inclusion. Hmm. And I remember my third grade teacher, Mrs. Red, telling me, my maiden name is Harris. Harris, if it says and, you have to do both. <laughs> and hmm. I get that, right? So I understand that they are parallel work streams that we have to accelerate and that different actions are required to advance both of them. So each of them, I should say. So I would say that basically understanding that diversity, equity, and inclusion are complementary yet separate work streams and having a strategy that, it, that acknowledges and that accelerates all of them. So this takes me to uh, heightened focus in awareness of ESG. How can it help organizations actually see DE&I as a growth strategy? Yeah, so Glenn, let me first say that I'm more encouraged now about the future of diversity, equity, and inclusion than ever before. And I think that heightened focus is contributed to the spotlight that the coronavirus pandemic shined on it. And it looked specifically at how companies treat their employees, communities, customers, and society, right? Yeah. And then we had the, um, the murder of George Floyd in the United States and the pandemic disproportionate impact on historically underrepresented, disadvantaged uh, people around the world, not just in the United States. So I think that this really shocked the consciousness of all people, including business leaders. Um, and we really started to pay closer attention. And Glenn, I'm not sure this could have happened if we had, hadn't been in our homes during the pandemic and we had more time to reflect on what's possible. Yeah. So I believe that that really helped to heighten the focus. And I think that we have a responsibility is to take advantage of that momentum. Um, and as terrible as the pandemic has been, I, I want to acknowledge that, but we have some momentum behind it in this space to really drive some change and accelerate the pace of change. So not only did companies, um, senior leaderships and board members get in the boat with ESG, but many employees got in the boat as well. Mm. So it really drove home, I think, the fact that companies who really already had strong ESG framework and policies they fared very well during this time. And then um, there became so many other services available that helped other companies who weren't where they needed to be with this work to develop their strategies and start the journey of, along this work. But I think the real key, getting back to your question, Glenn, is really around intentionality and strategy. We have to make sure also that there's a good strong governance in place. And with the strong governance, that includes accountability monitoring and the metrics that takes that it takes to advance this work. It should be no different from the way that we approach the accountability, the monitoring, the metrics should be no different from the way that we approach our business objectives, our other business objectives, because this is a business objective and imperative as well. Well, you know, one thing that you made clear is that, you know, the pandemic uh, really exposed many organizations. In other words, it, it revealed the collapse of mm -hmm. old school, traditional ways of thinking about the business. And what it also did, it gave rise 
because of what happened with the social unrest and the murder of George Floyd as to the role of that individuals need to play as part of redefining the future of our organizations, because it's become less about the business defining the individual and much more about the individual defining the process towards the mission. And, and in saying that, I agree that the momentum right now should be at an all-time high. That's right. And, and, and especially when you add ESG to this in the, in, the, in the social component, I mean, let's be real here, Miriam, business and societal issues will forever, and by the way, have always been interconnected. But now there's the question I have, and, and maybe you'd like to share some light on it. How do we begin to incentivize and reward our efforts to solve for these things? Because as you said earlier, yeah, compliance people get excited about compliance, but I'm concerned that perhaps we get too excited about just being a little better when what we need to do is advance this work a lot faster. What are your thoughts? I couldn't agree with you more, Glenn. I think that for me, it's a privilege to work at principal. And I think all employees should feel the same way about their employer and the leadership team should feel that it's a privilege and set the tone that this is what we're doing. We're, we're, you know, we're not trying to say, hey, should we be doing this? This is what we're doing and set the expectation for employees at all levels of the organization to be engaged, to be involved in this work and to drive meaningful change, um, not just within the organization, but in the communities that we get to serve. And in our business results as well, you know, to bring that creativity to the table, it's so important. Glenn, um, I was thinking about, you know, the vision around this work and you kind of led me there from, from what you just said. And my vision for this work is really around how do we as CDL, Chief Diversity Officer, Chief Inclusion Officers, I hear a lot of different names for the, for the work that we get to do, but it comes down to emboldening our talent. How do we allow individuals to show up as individuals? When we're able to do that, I believe is when we really unlock the real value of our talent. I think that's when we get to see the ideas that employees can bring to the table. I also believe that it comes down to lessening some of the control that goes on in corporate America. And when you lessen the control, you then license your employees to bring their whole self to work, which means bringing their ideas to the table. It also means bringing their perspectives, their dissenting opinions to the table so that we can make the very best decisions as an organization. And those decisions, typically when employees feel that they can bring them, it allows us to consider things that we're not thinking about today, people who we may not be servicing today. So this is just super exciting for me to be talking about this with you, Glenn. I just jumped ahead of myself and into my vision for this work because you took me there. No, and that's the fun part because see, we need to have a vision that takes us out of the ways we've always seen this work. And yeah. you know, sometimes people don't like it when I say that, but here's the, 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 my response back. What have, what have we been measuring? How has it impacted the business in terms of making sure that DE and I now with the help and push from ESG is taking us 
to an area of mass individualization, which is what you're talking about is how do we unleash individuality? Because here's my concern. When we don't, we'll create new pressures for people, new insecurities for people. And what else? New resentments for people, because that's what happens during times of uncertainty. We try to grasp for control rather than letting people go and be who they are so that they can contribute at their fullest capacity. And oftentimes we don't realize that when we look at diversity, equity, inclusion, this is also about how do we help everyone restore their own dignity that they've lost from having to do things a certain way for so long. You know, it's the story about the frog in the boiling water. I mean, we just can't continue to do the way we've done things over and over again, especially now where we have more mass variances in people than ever before, which in simple terms means what? We have more unhidden talent and capability that we just haven't unleashed yet. Is that what we're talking about here, Miriam? Lynn, you nailed it. You nailed it. You nailed it. And we don't even realize, we don't even know the potential for our organization and our people until we unlock that talent. At Principal, I have nearly 9,000, 19,000 colleagues. Until we unlock it for all 19,000 employees, it's almost that, you know, we talk about entrepreneur spirits all the time, right? But it's yeah. that entrepreneur that we're looking for, right? And I think that when we remove the mask that you mentioned that covers up who we really are, the sky is the limit. Well, that's the challenge, right? Yeah. We, we learned the hard way during the pandemic that we've, that we've been wearing masks for much too long. Yes. And people are just tired of it. So tell us why you think that DE&I is really ultimately, the future of it is ultimately about mass individualization. I know that that work is important for, for you, uh, Miriam. Tell us a little bit about it. Absolutely. And Glenn, you've hit on a lot of it already. But I have to tell you that inclusion and mass individualization are just connected together. And to be honest with you, mass individualization will unlock inclusion. I love it. It I will unlock that. inclusion. So, and, and it's almost the, um, I guess it's the entry point, if you will, to inclusion. And it calls for a resetting of our strategies to make sure that we are putting people first. Putting you know the... Better say it, putting the person first. But Glenn, go ahead. No, I love what you just said, that mass individualization unlocks inclusion. So think about, is that correct? Is that what you said, Mary? That's it. Because think about what you just said. If we're still solving for diversity and not inclusion, this is why we keep seeing others as other. That's right. Okay. But and so if what, it's not until, so in other words, what you've taken us to is that We've been at a diversity. We haven't maximized it because we still haven't learned enough. And I know this is another discussion yeah. is to how to measure inclusion. And now you're saying you, you can't even get the benefits of inclusion without mass individualization. So what I'm taking from this, according to your vision, is that we've got some catching up to do. 
You nailed it, Glenn. You know, I talked earlier about, hey, one of the barriers for success has been that we did diversity or inclusion. We selected one or the other. And here's a second barrier for us. So we've got to go back and really get it right. So that's probably inspiring for the listeners who are just starting the journey as well, because they don't have to do any correction. They can start with mass individualization and then move to inclusion. Exactly. And when that happens, we unlock the richness and power of diversity. And it's so ironic that you say this, because as we've discussed before, what's driven all of this? It's the cultural demographic shift. Large cultural segments of the population reach numbers sufficient enough to have a significant effect on what we do and how we act. That's right. Single force is impacted and changed everything about right. not just DE&I, but the importance of ESG in how these two things really are setting the tone. And that could even add well-being to this, that you think of DE&I, ESG, well-being. These are three core things that I actually believe that have been the unknowns that we're talking about, that we're trying to solve for. But I think you just said it, that Without mass individualization, can you really solve either of these three things? You can. So, Miriam, go ahead. Go ahead. What what are your final thoughts on this as we close? You know, Glenn, um, I always enjoy speaking with you. And I have to tell you that uh, that was a um, fresh nugget for me as we were speaking. It, it, um, It came to me at this very moment during this call. So I have a lot of reflecting to go back and do and really think through my strategy. You know, what changes do I need to make and how will we further embed mass individualization into the work that we're doing to accelerate the pace, not only for our stakeholders, but for our shareholders as well. So this is very exciting. Well, I really appreciate your time, Miriam. And for our uh, for our viewers and listeners. Miriam Lewis will be one of our featured speakers at the 2022 Leadership in the Age of Personalization Summit this year, hosted by Clemson University on October 13th and 14th. Hope uh, that you could all join us. So with that, Miriam, thank you again for for your time. Um, I believe in you, Miriam. You're the future of this work. You just keep going um, because you get it and uh, help take us there. Thank you, Glenn. My pleasure to be here today. As we leave every show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Have a great day, Miriam. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org.